Well, today, uh, Pastor George has been on a series on Romans, and uh, he gave me the freedom uh, this morning to preach on what I wanted to preach on. Amen. It's good to have that kind of freedom. And so I'm going to leave Romans to him when he gets back. And uh, today, uh, I was praying and asking God, you know, what, what would he have me to share today uh, on this uh, Mother's Day Sunday? And uh, I've been teaching a class here called The Art of Neighboring. And uh, my mind has been so engrossed in uh, this book uh, by Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak uh, on The Art of Neighboring. And uh, as one particular... Um, chapter that really leaped out at me as I began to think about what I was going to preach this Sunday, and uh, that chapter is called Taking the Great Commandment Seriously. And so I really thought about uh, that particular chapter because there were some things that were said in there that really leaped out at me. And one particular passage that, that was brought, uh, that was expounded on was Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And so if you're able to stand, I ask that you stand. We're going to read this passage together. It's on page 804 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. If you have it, say amen. All right. I'm trying to get you used to saying amen. All right. All right. Well, let us read uh, together. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. You may be seated. I would like to hang as a title over this passage, The Great Commandment Principle. The Great Commandment Principle. And I must uh, state up front that that title did not originate with me. Uh, there's a book uh, by a man named uh, Ferguson, last name Ferguson, and the book is called The Great Commandment Principle. Um, the book has had a profound impact on my life, and as I have been reading The Art of Neighboring, I've been reading that one in tandem with, uh, with that particular book. But one of the things that really leaped out at me in uh, this, the, the particular book, The Art of Neighboring, is, is on uh, taking the great commandment seriously. Uh, he says something that really arrested my attention, and I want to share that with you because we're on this journey together. He says, I have come to believe that as followers of Jesus, one of the worthiest endeavors we can undertake is to take the great commandment seriously and learn to be in relationship with our literal neighbors. Uh, he goes on to say that whenever we center our lives around the great commandment and take very literally the idea and practice of loving our neighbor." There's a great freedom, a great peace, and depth of relationship that come to our lives by becoming good neighbors 
we become who we're supposed to be. And I love that, that, that expression, that whenever we center our lives, when the great, command become, great commandment becomes the nucleus of our lives, and we take very literally the idea and practice of loving our neighbor, there's great freedom. It frees us up not to do what we're supposed to do, but to do what we ought to do. Uh, it gives us a sense of profound peace and a depth of relationship. In other words, our relationships are not shallow. They are authentic, they are real, they are actual whenever we center our lives around the great commandment. And I thought about that in my own life. I thought about that in the life of the church in the 21st century because I think many times, brothers and sisters, there's a numbness that comes with the great commandment. Uh, in other words, we, we hear it, but we don't hear it. Uh, and, and I will submit to you today when we read this passage is that the great commandment, when Jesus uh, shared this uh, with the scribe and the teacher of the law, and when it's shared in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that it is not a suggestion. Amen, somebody. Amen. <laughs> that the great commandment is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Uh, we, we have a tendency to, to treat some of God's commandments like they're options. But there's a continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament that this great commandment principle does not change. It is something that, that is stated uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that carries throughout the Old Testament, but is also stated by Jesus and is taught in the New Testament as well. And Paul expounds on it in his, in his epistles, and John expounds on it. So this great commandment principle is not a suggestion, it's a command. And so we have to start from that premise. Now, however far we are away from the reality of living that out, and uh, we, we know that God wants us to perfect our love for him, but also to perfect our love for one another. So the question is today, the question the question that we have to raise today is, uh, have we become numb to the great commandment? Have, are we taking it seriously? Uh, are we really living out the, the reality of the great commandment? Because I think just like this scribe, just like this, this teacher of the law, sometimes we have a tendency to become Pharisaic in our understanding of the law our understanding of the Word of God. God wants us to be true followers of Jesus Christ and live out the reality of this great commandment principle. Now, the context that we, you know, we, we, when we read this passage, it's also, uh, Mark also talks about this interaction with Jesus and uh, this scribe, uh, this ruler of the law. Um, and then Luke talks about it from a different angle, and there's a much longer, elaborate discussion where Jesus goes into a discussion about, uh, about who is my neighbor. And Jesus tells the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan, and we'll talk some more about that, but I just want us to, to think about the context, because uh, in Judaism, that this was repeated twice a day, the Shema. It was well known uh, as an overarching obligation of each individual Jew. 
And it included the duty, as one writer put it, the, the duty of obedience to the other commandments given by God. He goes on to say that love for God is not understood as simply an emotion, an emotional attachment. Rather, it means giving oneself to him uh, with one's entire person, the totality of one's being. That we are, we are to respond to the love of God with all that we are, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so it, it was stated twice every day by every Jew. And so if, 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 that's, if that was stated so many times uh, by every Jew, then how much more seriously should we as Christians take this great commandment principle? Michael Wilkins, in his commentary on Matthew, gives us a definition for love. Uh, he says that love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which one gives oneself to another to bring the relationship to God's intended purpose. I, I love that expression, that love is an unconditional. In other words, love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. There are a lot of people that you might feel like you don't love. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person, an imperfect person in which one gives oneself to another to bring that relationship, to reconcile that relationship to God's intended purpose. And so as we think about uh, being a good neighbor, as we think about the art of neighboring, as we think, think about living out the reality of this, remember that we are imperfect people, that we're all a work in progress, and that your next door neighbor, you're just as imperfect as your next door neighbor. And so God wants to work through you. God wants to share his love for your neighbor through you to bring that person into God's intended purpose, that that person will know that they are loved. Now, here, here's my first point as, I, as we come uh, to some observations of this passage of Scripture and elaborate, is first of all, God has called us to be a practitioner of his love. A practitioner of his love. In other words, uh, we're, 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 we're not going to be perfect in how we live out this, this love ethic, but God wants us to be practitioners of his divine love in the world. And I, I, I love the way uh, Jesus shares this commandment because what he does is he takes Deuteronomy 6.5 and he takes Leviticus 19.18 and he combines the two. Now, uh, Deuteron Deuteronomy and Leviticus uh, are not connected together and so Jesus, when he shares this, he shares this from the Torah, he says, uh, you, you know the law, you know the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he goes on to say, a second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if we authentically love God, then it manifests itself in horizontal ways, in tangible ways, with our neighbors. And, 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 and when we really love God, when we rightly love God, when we're rightly related to God, then God's love flows through us to our neighbors. Not just the ones we like. Amen. 
but the ones we don't like. That God's love, God intends for his love to flow through us and to our neighbors. And so this, this is not a, a shallow love. It's an authentic love. It's, it's not a metaphoric love. It's an actual love that God wants, wants us to display for him in a tangible way. You know, just this past Saturday, God gave me a pop quiz on the reality of this truth. You do know what a pop quiz is, right? You know, all of us had those teachers in elementary school and in high school, and you walk in class and they say, take out a sheet of paper. And they say, take out a sheet of paper and a pencil. And they begin to ask you a question, and the, the idea is they've been teaching for weeks and months, and they expect for you to, to embody some of the things that they have taught throughout the weeks and months. And so they ask you to take out a sheet of paper, and it's a pop quiz to see if you have been listening to what they have been sharing. Well, God does the same thing. Many times when we hear the word of God, God's word is valuable, and God, God says, my word will not come back to me void. And, and many times God will give us a pop quiz. Sometimes when we've studied the word of God, we've heard a great sermon, and we, we, leave the, we leave the four walls of this church and we walk out into the North X and we walk up to Larson or we go out to the, to the garage and somebody gets on our last nerve. <laughs> Amen, somebody. <laughs> and, and sometimes God gives us a pop quiz and that, that happened to me this past Saturday. Uh, I was here at the church early in the morning and uh, I had some books that I was uh, using in preparation for this sermon. And I had a stack of books and I put them in the back seat of my car. And as I was getting ready to leave, I noticed that my car was on empty. Uh, that's not very often. I just want to make sure you. <laughs> Driving down the road, I stopped at the Shell gas station and I began to uh, get out of the car. And there was a gentleman who was in front of me posing in front of the car. He had jeans on, no socks, uh, no shirt, and a scarf around his neck. And he stood in front of the car begging for attention. And so, you know, I, I just tried to ignore him. I got out of the car and I started putting gas in my car and he was behind me at the store, standing outside the door of the store. And I heard someone say, Excuse me, do you have any change? And I just ignored him and kept putting gas in my car. And I said, well, there are three or four other people here at the gas station. Certainly, he's not talking to me. <laughs> and then he says to me again, excuse me, sir, do you have any change? And I ignored him again. And then at that point, the Holy Spirit says, pop quiz. I turn around and the gentleman is gone. He's disappeared. He's nowhere to be found. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know where he is. But then God brought it to my attention that you failed this pop quiz. And the scripture that came to my mind that is, as often as you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. And my heart was saddened because here I was preparing a message by being a good neighbor and there 
was a neighbor right behind me. And I think what happens, brothers and sisters, that many times we want to choose who our neighbor is. Many times we want to choose who our neighbor is and sometimes our neighbor doesn't look like us. Sometimes our neighbor may have just a pair of jeans on. Sometimes our neighbor may just have a scarf around his neck. Sometimes our neighbor may not look like we look and so we choose not to help that person because we choose what's convenient for us. What God taught me at that moment is that many times, brothers and sisters, that sometimes God just wants us to acknowledge that that person is a human being, that that person is an image bearer of God, that that person, no matter what, what clothes he, he has on, no matter how he looks, that however imperfect that person is, that person is an image bearer of God and God has called us to love our neighbors regardless of how they look or where they live. So God calls us to be a practitioner of his love. We don't always get it perfect, but practice love. Practice love, not just to those who, who it's convenient to practice love around, but practice love to those who it's not convenient. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, love your enemies, bless them to curse you, do good to them to hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus says, I want you to love those who don't love you back. I want you to love those that it's easy to love someone and to greet someone who greets you back, but love those who don't love you back. This is what it means, brothers and sisters, to be a practitioner of God's love. And here's, here's, here's the thing I want us to understand. Here's the thing I want us to get into our spirit today is to ask the question in every situation we find ourselves in that we must ask ourselves, what's the loving thing to do? Not, not what's the right thing to do, because if you do the loving thing, you inevitably you do the right thing. But as Christians, we must ask ourselves, what is the loving thing to do? And God will reveal to us what's the loving thing to do. I like the way that great theologian Paul Tillich said, he said that the first duty of love is to listen. That's the first duty, is to listen. Love submits itself or surrenders itself in such a way where it puts itself in a position to listen to the other. And so the first duty of love is to listen. And one of the things I failed to do while, while I was at that gas station is first of all, I failed to listen to God. But I failed to listen to this young man's cry for attention that he's created in the image of God. And every day God will call us first and foremost, to be listeners because before we can be practitioners, we got to be able to listen to the voice of God and to listen to the cries of people around us. Certainly, we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. So that's our first duty is to listen. But here's, a, here's another thing. Here's, you know, it, it ultimately, the ultimate goal is to move the great, command, great commandment from theory to practice in the real world context. That, that's the ultimate goal, to move the great commandment from theory to practice. I like the way Dr. King talks about it in his book called The Strength of Love. He talks about 
two types of faith. He says, there are two types of faith in God that are clearly set forth in the scriptures. He says, one may be called the mind's faith, wherein the intellect uh, assents to a belief that God exists. He says, the other may be referred to as the heart's faith, whereby the whole man is involved in a trusting act of self-surrender. To know God, a man must possess this latter type of faith. And this is what I want you to get here. He says, for the mind's faith is directed toward a theory. The cerebral perspective of faith is directed toward a theory. But he, but he goes on to say that the latter type of faith, the heart's faith, is centered on the person. It's centered on the person. The mind's faith is centered on a theory, a theoretical, theoretical understanding of faith, but the heart's faith is centered on the other, on the person. Dr. King says that one day we will learn that the heart can never be totally right if the head is totally wrong. Only through the bringing together of the head and heart, intelligence and goodness, shall man rise to a fulfillment of his true nature. So we must bring the cerebral and the heart together because you got to have some head knowledge, but it, had, it can't stay there. It must go down into the citadel of our hearts so that it will become a true expression of what God intended us to do and be. And so, brothers and sisters, the, the ultimate goal is to move the great commandment from theory to practice in a real-world context. And when I look at the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I see Jesus moving the great commandment from theory to practice. Everywhere Jesus went, the word became flesh. Wherever he, whenever he walked the dusty roads of Jerusalem, that his love was not theory, it was practice. Uh, that he recognized the humanity of Martha and Mary, that he recognized the humanity of Zacchaeus, that he recognized the humanity of the man who had leprosy. He recognized the humanity, people who were ignored and dehumanized. Jesus recognized that they were image bearers, even though they were left out, they were marginalized. Jesus recognized that they were created in the image of God. And this is what I see Jesus doing. This is what I see uh, Jesus understanding of love. Jesus, his love was always incarnational. That Jesus always entered into another person's world. And he saw what they saw. He experienced what they experienced. He, he expressed his solidarity with humanity. That Jesus came down from heaven to earth and subjected himself to the human, to hum, human frailness, the elements of the world, that he became one of us in order that he might save and redeem us. But not only is Jesus' love incarnational, and not only should his love be incarnational, but our love should be incarnational. We should be willing to enter into another person's reality, into their world, and identify with them. But not only is Jesus' love incarnational, it is intentional. We see Jesus being intentional there. And in order to be intentional, 
Love has to create some space. We, we can't be in a hurry. You know, when you love someone, uh, that you, you can't always be in a hurry. You have to pause and, and uh, identify with that person and recognize that they are human, to recognize that, that God died for them. And so our love for someone should always be intentional. Jesus' love was intentional with the woman at the well. He, he made it a point to get to the well to meet her at the well. Jesus' love for Zacchaeus was intentional. When he walked the dusty roads of Jerusalem, even though Zacchaeus was small in statue, he recognized him in the tree and said, come down, I'm going to sup at your house today. His love was intentional. But not only should, was Jesus' love intentional, his love is always, our love should always be relational. Love says that I'm willing to enter into a relationship with you. I'm willing to get to know you. I'm willing to get to know your story. You're recognizing the fact that that person, it, it could be you. That person is you. That whenever we see a homeless person on the street, except by the grace of God, there go I. That could happen to me. I could wake up one morning and not know who I am. And so we must recognize that every person that we, we are uh, committed to entering to a relationship with, with our neighbors. Not everybody, but, but some neighbors. God calls us to, to help them to, to reach into their world and move them out of their depression, to move them out of their isolation and recognize their humanity. Last but not least, we have to recognize that every person in your neighborhood is an image bearer of God. Every person, no matter what color they are, no matter what religious background they come from, no matter what kind of job they have, no matter how, what, how their house looks, that every person in your neighborhood, every neighbor is an image bearer of God. We've got to recognize the humanity of every person that we come into contact with because that's what we, that's, that's the challenge that God has called us to. That's what God has called us to as Christians, to recognize that every person is an image bearer of God. Now, Dr. Chuck Swindoll tells this story. When he pastored the church, Evangelical Free Church in Fullerton, California, that one Sunday morning, he got up to preach, and... A homeless person walked through the side door. And there he had, his hair was matted. You could barely see his eyes. And he had on a beach shirt and some dirty shorts and no uh, hat on sandals. And he walks into the church and all eyes were on him. And as he walked into the church, he walked to the back of the church and sat on the back row. There was a woman over to the right. She recognized him coming in, and so she walked out the side door, walked all the way around, and she sat right next to him. And she just wanted to recognize that he was human, that she, she wanted to recognize that he was created in the image of God. She wanted to recognize the fact that I see you, I notice you. And so she sat beside him, and the only word she shared with him, welcome to Evangelical Free Church Fullerton. We're glad you're here. And he sat there and 
Chuck Swindoll went on to preach and the congregation went on and benediction was given. The next Sunday, he shows up again. This time, he moves four rows closer to the pulpit. And he shows up again and people begin to recognize him and begin to recognize his humanity that he's the image bearer and to greet him. Next Sunday, he shows up again and he comes eight rows closer to the front. This time, he's looking a little cleaner. He's dressing a little better. But the church began to embrace him and recognize and see him as an image bearer, that he's a follower. Now he's, he's getting closer. He has an appetite for the word of God. And the next Sunday, he's on the front row. Chuck Swindoll said he, jo he joins the church. And to, based on the story he tells, that to that day, he became, became a deacon at the church. But it all started with this woman walking around the side recognizing that he was an image bearer, that he, that, that he was created in the image of God. And he kept moving closer and closer to God and to the people of God. And I think that when we begin to love the homeless, to love those who are marginalized, to love those who are left out, to love those who are locked up, that when we begin to recognize that they are created in the image of God just like we are, that they begin to move closer and closer to the love of God. Because brothers and sisters, we may be the only Jesus that somebody will ever see. And I would like to think at UPC that we are committed to that kind of love. I would like to think at UPC that when a homeless person comes to our church that we recognize their humanity. Not that we can solve all their problems, but the least we could do is recognize and affirm the fact that God loves them. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the awesome privilege that we have of being practitioners of the love of God. And Lord, we thank you for the love that you poured out upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Lord, would you help us uh, to love you more dearly and to love our neighbor as you love them? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.